It's a real pleasure to meet you, sir. My employees call me sir. My friends call me Lewis. Yeah, well, my, my friends call me Lee, but a handsome older gentleman like yourself can call me Eileen. What's up, everybody? This is Fred Ricciani. I have right here via Zoom a very special guest. He is a very talented, prominent American filmmaker, Daniel Ferens. He's the man behind Halloween <laughs> 6. He's done a number of different films. And most recently, he's putting out there a new take on the Eileen Wernos story. Eileen Wernos, American Boogie Woman, coming very shortly to video on demand and DVD. Daniel, thank you so much for joining us. How's everything going? Everything's good. Good. We had a few little technical hiccups there to get on, but uh, thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Was it intended for you to release American Boogie Woman around Halloween time, given your tie-ins to the Halloween series? You know, I don't. I think that was purely coincidental. Um, I, you know, I certainly didn't have a hand in that decision either way. <laughs> but uh, um, we had done um, a companion movie that came out about a month ago called uh, Ted Bundy, American Boogie Man. Um, which I think that, you know, in terms of the, the, the distribution plan, I think it was always the idea to have them come out kind of either concurrently or one sort of shortly after the other. So I think that's how it just worked out. And I guess it doesn't hurt that it's Halloween, although, you know, this one isn't your typical kind of, you know, horror movie with Michael Myers, you know, slashing people. We have another one that was coming out this, this month though, too. So if I'm not mistaken, you, you filmed the Ted Bundy film and Eileen Wernos all during the pandemic, right? Yes. Yeah. I mean, it was pretty, pretty interesting and, and pretty, um, you know, crossing some barriers at the time. I mean, it was really at the height of the pandemic. We were the first um, independent movie that SAG even allowed to shoot. Um, and I felt like in a way we were like the guinea pigs for bigger movies to see if, oh, this is this little movie going to be able to pull this off? Because if they can, then the bigger shows can. So it, it really was like, testing the waters and and going about working in a completely new way. Um, it was a little nerve wracking the first time out. I have to say those, you know, it's, it, it just, you know, it was a scary time because we really didn't know where this was all headed. And, and um, certainly there was no vaccine at that point or, you know, and, and the numbers, we were always kind of watching them and, and sort of kind of getting an idea of where, where things were at and you know it was it was a little nerve-wracking so I, maybe that heightened the tension of the movie <laughs> i don't know but uh yeah it was an it was a it was kind of like inventing a new way of working look looking back at that time are, are you kind of surprised yourself that you were able to get those films done during that whole chaotic period oh yeah i mean for sure and you know and not only that but like the budgetary limitations these are s small movies compared to you know this is not a marvel movie so oh, hardly i mean i don't think our entire budget even matches their craft service budget on something like that. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, <clears throat> no, I mean, it's always, you know, it's always money and time with anything that you're doing. You do the best you can, you know, the resources were limited to begin with, and then you end up having to devote a significant uh, portion of your resources to, um, you know, testing everybody on a, on a kind of rolling basis. And, um, you know, it just was a whole bunch of new things that ate into your budget and ate into your schedule. So, um, yeah, it was, it was really, it was really challenging. Eileen Wernos, American Boogie Woman. I had a chance to check out the screening. We won't put out any spoilers, or anything like that. Uh, but very, a very interesting take on this serial killer's life. And we've seen a lot of work wow. on her from you know, films to documentaries, a lot of creative license being taken. This sure. is a, a unique spin here. This is kind of more of her early life when she, yeah. you know, for lack of a better, better phrasing, you know, married a sugar daddy. And, and it <laughs> seems like her life could have turned out very differently in her 20s, right? 
really it did and and the movie sort of takes a what if approach because so little is known about that chapter of Eileen Moros's life i mean for those who may know who she was give a quick recap she was this um you know tragic woman who you know from a from a from her earliest days as a child was abused and um just it was a horrible horrible childhood which led her on a, at a very early age to drugs and prostitution and and she was sort of traveling the highways of america just you know roaming around and she and, and in her very early 20s she ended up in um, a town called deland florida where she met a group of young people who uh through that she was introduced to a, a much much older man uh by the name of lewis fell and uh, she in very short order married lewis um, but other than the fact that she married him and that the marriage was extremely short-lived and that she was arrested at the time for bar fights and even beating this poor old man, you know, um, there's not much known about the specifics of the marriage. So the way that I approach the story is how would Eileen have maybe told it when she was on death row? You know, she had committed, you know, much later in life, she committed a series of murders and was convicted of those um, for which she ended up paying with you know, paying with her life. So um, she was executed um, in 2002. So the movie sort of looks at it from that, through that prism of Eileen telling the story, but is she that reliable in the way she's telling it? Is she telling the truth? Is she stretching the truth? Um, so the movie kind of takes it from that standpoint. As you mentioned, it's kind of a little known story. Even when I was watching the film, when I initially went on Twitter and just Googled, like, was trying to randomly search up the, like, these facts about her early life, I didn't yeah. find a whole lot of info. So where did the oh. inspiration and the information come from for you to eventually make this film? The idea actually was born um, with one of our producers, Luce, uh, Lucas Jarek. He really had the idea for this. Um, and I kind of took the research he had already done and kind of dug a little bit further and kind of developed the script around that concept. And I thought to myself, like, because so little is known about it, this has to be kind of a movie that's like fiction based on facts. You know what I mean? Like we are supposing what may have happened. But also, you know, Eileen was really kind of enamored with old movie stars and, you know, kind of the, of the era of like film noir, Lauren Bacall and um, Ava Gardner and, you know, all these like Betty Davis. I mean, and so I thought, what if she saw herself as that? And so I kind of approached it as, from a filmmaking standpoint as, as like a film noir, as a kind of like she's telling this story about this little known chapter of her life, but she's kind of dressing it up and dressing herself up to be this almost larger than life figure. So that's kind of how the movie plays out, because, again, so little is known about the truth. Very interesting. And what was also interesting and kind of mind numbing in a, in a good way watching the film was seeing who you cast as a young Eileen Peyton list who, for those that don't know is, I mean, a gigantic star from the Disney realm. Nowadays, she has yeah. Cobra Kai. She's gigantic on social media. She's got, I mean, Lord, no, over 20 million followers between TikTok and Instagram and, and all that jazz. I'm not saying she's the last person you'd expect to portray as Eileen Wernos, but probably a person that doesn't come to mind. And I thought she did, you know, a, a hell of a job, you know, given the fact that, you know, most of her roles have been, uh, a lot more family friendly. So what was it like working with Peyton and, and how did you see her kind of coming into her own and getting more comfortable as time went on? Yeah. I mean, I, I met Peyton through one of our producers and kind of like how we're talking now. Uh, it was just over zoom because it's the only safe way to meet people nowadays. Uh, so, um, but she was just, 
wonderful from the get-go. Um, I had so much fun working with her. She made me laugh every day. She took this very kind of heavy subject matter and just made it, made the set a, a, a better place to be because she just brought such like youthful exuberance and energy. And she was always joking around. She and I kind of have a similar wicked sense of humor. So we kind of bonded in that way. Um, and lots of talk about Cobra Kai on set, of course. And one time she, she turned me because I'm asking all these questions. She's like, you know, Dan, it's not real. Uh, but she's a sweetheart and um you're lucky to get her because she's as you mentioned she's extremely busy and her career is really going up and i'm super proud of her and i'm just thrilled that we had her for this movie and i think she shows a different side and i love that um she's not just sort of i mean cobra kai she plays kind of you know the bad girl maybe a little misunderstood but i think she brings kind of a vulnerability to the thing you know like you you know she's not so good, but you kind of, you know, there's there's something about her that your your heart kind of goes out to her. You understand, you know, like this young woman has kind of been on the list of have-nots and it's not easy. And she's doing her best, but she's kind of regressing, even though she's given this brand new opportunity in life to start again and, and, and really pave a way for herself with a man who will take care of her. He's got money, he's got resources, and yet... You know, like so many people, she's drawn back to the familiar. And I think that, you know, Peyton really understood it. And she did a lot of research. And, um, you know, I mean, there's there's big shoes to fill in the sense of, like, everybody knows that Charlize Theron played this role. She won an Oscar for this role. But this is different. You know, this is telling a different side of her life, different part of her life. So I didn't want Peyton to come in with those expectations of herself and just sort of own the, own the part and inhabit the best way that she could. And I think she did a great job. Yeah, and, and people forget she's still so young. So I mean, for her to be kind of thrust into that role, I mean, that's a, that's a lot of pressure. And I thought I thought she oh, did yeah. really well. Yeah, she did. She did, and it was you know again, it was a very short schedule, and we all kind of were thrown into the mix together, and it was a small group of us making this, and um, and it was nice to have Peyton, but also like veteran actors like Toby Bell, who's so well known in the Saw films as Jigsaw, um, and he just brought that kind of experience in the older statesmen to the whole thing. And it really was great. It was, it was great to see them, those two work so well together. And they really got along. Now, whenever you're working with subject matter like this, particularly with true crime, yeah, you kind of have to walk a line between entertainment value, because obviously mm-hmm. you want this film to make money, you want people to check it out. But at the same yeah. time, you also have the responsibility to, you know, not be considered exploitative and, I know. You, you know, also kind of maybe making the killer look better than say like the, the unfortunate victim. So yeah. for this particular film, for Ted Bundy, for some of the other works you, you've done as far as true crime goes, how do you as a filmmaker kind of walk that line between entertainment and responsibility? It's a great question. Um, and I think, I mean, just if I may for a moment, I just, yeah. I feel like we are in a culture where everybody sees the dark side. They see what they want to see. They, they imbue things with kind of this very negative point of view. And I have to tell you that like, there's not a project that I've ever approached with that has to do with, with a true crime or a true story that I haven't in my mind and in the forefront of everybody's mind making these movies um, is the victims and what they went through. Um, you know, by whether it's repeatedly saying those victims' names, talking about their lives, talking about the impact that these deaths and the terrible loss of life has had on their loved ones. I mean, that's just a point of view that I want and I feel like it's very important to show as opposed to 
oh, isn't it cool that they're killing all these people? This isn't a slasher film or any of these films like like a like a Halloween or Friday the 13th, any of things you can see that on the wall behind me. You obviously know I'm a fan of these things, but I am very careful and I'm always extremely sensitive toward it. So when people come out and say exploitation, all this, I feel like that's a really easy thing to say. Um, and they and it's almost like they go in wanting to see that as opposed to all the other things that are in the movie that show you know, the, the humanity of the whole thing. And I think that that's unfortunate. We live in a time where everything has to be judged from this very kind of like, you know, negative way or, you know, the word is problematic that people use. Um, so I am careful and I'm very much aware of what we're making and, and sensitive to it. Uh, on a light, well, I guess maybe a lighter slash darker note. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm sure you're aware of the gigantic fan base that Halloween has. I mean, so, so many films. You're part. Of, you're part of its legacy. At the time we're recording this interview, it's around Halloween time. So I got to ask you, man. What What are your memories of working on Halloween Six? Which hard to believe now is what twenty twenty six years old now. Twenty six. I know, and I can't believe I'm not even twenty six years old. Uh, <laughs> no, I mean it. Just first of all, it makes me feel old. But secondly, you know, nothing. It, all of that that time in my life was, it was purely a gift. I mean, I truly was like the ultimate Halloween fan that got an audience with kind of like the principal of the school, Mustafa Akkad, the late Mustafa Akkad, who really, I, I have to say, you know, I credit him with giving me a career now that's lasted 26 years. That movie was my very first studio film, was my first wide release film. Um, I, I have nothing but great memories of the time of making We Were in Salt Lake City. It was the last of the franchise to have Donald Pleasance, unfortunately, before he passed away. So there was just a lot, and, and Paul Rudd, it started his career. So <laughs> um, I would say Ant-Man owes it all to me, um, <laughs> but he was great. And we just, we were a bunch of kids, you know, kind of making this, like the, the, the keys to the little Halloween kingdom were handed to us for a short period of time. And it was, it was just a lot of fun and it was just an honor to be there. So and I still feel the same way today. I just want to make note for everybody watching and listening. Eileen Wernos, American Boogie Woman. It'll be available on demand October 8th in the U.S. and on DVD October 15th. That's still correct, right? That is correct. Excellent. Excellent. So, yeah, we like to ask some kind of random questions to a lot of our guests just to get to know them better. Are you ready? I'll go for it. Let's see what we can do. (laughs) Favorite late night snack or cheat meal? Oh, um, you're going to laugh. Toast. (laughs) (laughs) That's a cheat. Do you, do you not eat a lot of carbs? Is that, is that the deal? Yeah, yeah. It's just like, I just like, for some reason, I got like a hankering for toast always at night. And I don't know, like breakfast food. I don't know. Anyway. <laughs> if you weren't a filmmaker, what would you be? Oh, God. Um, I think, honestly, an, uh, an editor. Uh, not an editor, like a film editor, but like a, an editor for, uh, you know, a magazine or, or books. Interesting. So, so you had words. So. so before getting into film, you had you, you were a, you were kind of like a writer by trade, right? Or you, you felt like you were a writer by trade? I mean, it's I was so young that I just I started when I was a kid. I was just writing, writing, writing. It was just always my passion from the time I was, you know. Eight, so, what's your most awkward moment as a filmmaker? God, <laughs> been so many. <laughs> um, if we're at a party and I'm like, "Hey, man, like, what? Tell me, tell me something wacky that happened to you on set." Oh God. Um, well, I can't name names, but there was an actor who in the middle of a take, his pants actually fell off, like dropped to the, like they fell and they were like shooting this movie and 
the whole crew just broke out in laughter and I'm sitting there trying to hold it together. <laughs> and the scene just went on. <laughs> so, but his pants fell off. Yeah. yeah. It seems more awkward for him than you though. Yeah. But it was awkward to like, Hey, your pants aren't falling. You didn't actually even realize. <laughs> oh, <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. Not for him. Uh-huh. But, uh, that, that, that's awesome. Oh, man. Uh, yeah. What's the biggest do and what's the biggest don't as a filmmaker? Do, um, do like, do you, you know, as that saying goes, you know, like, like just don't give up and don't, you know, and, and, and do things that are, are meaningful to you, you know, as tell stories you want to tell and don't, and don't let other people dictate your desire and don't edit yourself before you've had a chance to tell a story or compose a song or whatever. So many people get stuck in that morass of like, oh, it has to be perfect before I do it. And I think that kills a lot of creativity. In general, as a director, what would you say is the biggest misconception of your job? That I make a lot of money. <laughs> <laughs> it's, you know, it's funny. People are like, oh, you line your pockets. I'm like, wow. Uh, no. Um, you know, you do things, some things you do for money, but other things you do because you know, it's an opportunity, number one, or number two, um, you know, the subject matter draws you in. What's the best advice you've received in show business or life? Be the last man standing. Can you elaborate on that a little bit? What do you, what do you mean by that? Or what do they mean by that? Just don't, you know, when, when, when people, you know, there's so many people that have kind of, they start down the road in this industry. And then at some point something happens that kind of derails them creatively, emotionally, and they give up. And, and, and I think to just kind of keep picking yourself up, even if you get the slings and arrows of whatever, you know, bad reviews or people want to kick you or, you know, something didn't work out the way you'd hoped. But I think it's important to just keep getting back up. Besides anybody you've actually cast, who is your all-time favorite actor? All-time favorite actor? All-time? Oh, God, that's a long history of things. Or maybe somebody um, that comes to mind now, somebody present day. That yeah, I was going to say, are they, do they have to be alive? <laughs> <laughs> they could be dead too, whoever. Oh, um, you know, I always loved Gregory Peck as an actor. I just thought, you know, he just had a heart and so much sensitivity. And it would have been great and lovely to meet him, you know, but uh, great actor. Tom Hanks, of course, we all love. And, <laughs> um, so, yeah, two, two off the top of my head. Why should people check out Eileen Wernos, American Boogie Woman? Well, I, I think it's, I think people should check out Eileen Warnos, American Boogie Woman, if you're interested in the story of Eileen Warnos or this little known chapter of her life, but know going in that it is a, not a documentary about her life. It's not a documentary about this part portion of her life. It's a dramatization. Um, but if you want to see a, a thrilling, inventive um, kind of uh, look back on, on this chapter of her life, but kind of told through like perception of Eileen and also her, her fascination with thrillers and film noir. I think this is a movie for you. <laughs> awesome. And once again, that's Eileen Wernos, American Boogie Woman on video on demand, October 8th, DVD, October 15th. You mentioned as well, you're working on another project. Can you shed some light on that? Maybe for some people who are fans of yours? Oh, um, well, there's a couple of things I'm, I'm actually involved in right now. And interestingly, I'm, I'm going to go, I've done so many, um, in between the feature films, I've done several documentaries that I think a lot of horror fans will, will know, like Never Sleep Again, The Elm Street Legacy, and Crystallic Memories, which encapsulated like an eight hours in the history of uh, the Friday the 13th series. Um, I'm going to tackle the 
career of a really well-known and I think beloved producer, Deborah Hill, um, and tell a story that few people know about Deborah Hill's life. Um, and also I'm doing something on the true haunting that inspired Poltergeist, film Poltergeist. So those are a couple things I've gotten in the works. Daniel, thank you so much for the time. Thank Where you. can fans find you and all your work online? Are you on social media? I am, yeah. So uh, Daniel Ferrans, easy to find me on Facebook and Instagram. So <laughs> Daniel Ferrans. <laughs>